In this episode, I share about my personal education and career path in response to a question from a patron. I hope this helps you to gain some clarity over your options and what the future might look like for you in the helping professions. My name is Justin Sinceri. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist that thinks the world needs a new paradigm for mental health. Welcome to Stuck Not Broken. No disclaimers in this one. I think we're good to go. So this one is, although this is not specific life advice, I'll just kind of share my own experience in response to a patron here. But by the way, uh, $5 a month, you can become a patron over on Patreon. There's a whole separate podcast, which I just renamed. It is now called the Stuck Not Cast. It used to be Polyvagal Patrons, but now Stuck Not Cast. Only five bucks a month. So this is from Donna over on Patreon. Donna says, howdy. Hope you're doing well. I am, Donna. Thank you for for saying that. But yeah, I would say I am. Donna says, I believe you are a counselor in a school setting. I have decided I want to help kids that were raised like myself, and I have researched many avenues, and some have pointed me in the direction of being in a school to reach kids the way I want to. I was wondering if you could share a little about your education and what your actual job title is so I can research job descriptions to see what best fits my goals. Donna does have a follow-up question, which I will get to, but I'm going to focus first on, well, on what has been asked so far. So first off, I'm not a counselor exactly. This is really confusing for, I guess, the people who are not in these helping professions. Counselor, psychologist, therapist, these get blended together. And I think just in general knowledge, there might not be a clear differentiation of what these are. But a school counselor, and a counselor is potentially different than a school counselor. A school counselor is um, different than what I am. I'm what's referred to as a mental health clinician. At least for my school district, that's our job title. As far as the state is concerned, the state of California, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. That's my license. My title is that, but also a psychotherapist. So in California, you cannot call yourself a psychotherapist without having some sort of license to back it up that California says, yes, you are now a psychotherapist. It's like they kind of own the word in in a sense. So if you claim to be a psychotherapist, they will come after you. And that's kind of like a way to protect us. Those of us who have you know, been through the schooling and went through licensure, did the hours, did the supervision, all that stuff. So it's a way to protect, you know, that word for us, I guess, in a sense. But when it comes to the school I work for, the school district that I work for, I am referred to as a mental health clinician. And this is different than a school counselor. A school counselor, they have, at least in my district, and I would assume nationally, I don't know about globally, these things do change you know, in between, you know, nation to nation, but also state to state, the requirements to be a therapist or a psychotherapist are slightly different or radically different. And I know globally that the there may not be uh, exact licensure from a governing body to be a therapist. But way off topic, I'll, let me get back on track here. So in California, I need a license to do the job that I'm doing right now. A school counselor, from what I understand, they need something called a pupil personnel services credential, a PPS. I don't have a PPS, but school counselors do. So the way, another way to look at this is 
Oh, and by the way, not all school districts have mental health clinicians. The bigger ones, I would say, like Los Angeles Unified, they probably have mental health clinicians. Um, San Francisco County uh, or San Francisco Unified, I, I, they probably have mental health clinicians. My district is a pretty darn big one, so we have mental health clinicians. Uh, but most school districts will contract this kind of stuff out. So they'll work with you know county mental health uh, or they'll work with some nonprofit or some other agency to provide therapy for their school district. So it's not widespread where high schools or even um, lower education have their own therapists on site. I think it's a growing thing, but um, it's, it's, so it's not super widespread yet. So I'm one of those mental health clinicians. Most schools, at least in my district and the ones that I'm familiar with, will have a school counselor, but their role is more academic. They do provide some emotional support. They can absolutely do case management. A lot of what they do is very much focused on academics, from what I understand. So they're not going to be doing, or they shouldn't be doing, therapy. I mean, especially because therapy is a licensed thing, at least in California. So they can definitely do emotional support, skills building. They can lead groups. I mean, there's, there's lots they can do as far as emotional support, social skills building, self-regulation. They can do a lot, but it's, it's different than therapy. So I'm one of the mental health clinicians. In my district, and I think this is pretty common, we use this um, tiered system of intervention. So tier one, two, and three. And three is the highest tier, meaning the most severe. So in tier one, if a student's having issues, tier one is the this teacher does some sort of intervention. It could be something as simple as, you know, moving them in classroom to a different seat. It could be, the intervention could be contacting parents. The intervention could be to give them more, you know, time on a test or something like that. It's just like a frontline tier one. Maybe this will help you out. If that proves to be, or it could also be like a reward system as well. I mean, it could be a lot of things. If that proves to be unsuccessful and they need a higher level of intervention, tier two is when the school counselor would come in and do some social and emotional support or do some academic emotional kind of support. Um, they, they, like I said, they can do uh, skills building. They can do uh, groups. It's not therapy. It's really focused on skills building and emotional support. Tier two could also have interventions from other staff they could have uh, from other agencies on the site from the school psychologist which is different than a psychologist with a doctorate uh, outside of the school district so but in level tier three that's when the mental health clinician would come in and that's when like there's some really severe moderate to severe uh, mental health concerns going on and it could be you know suicidal it could be um, emotional stuff it could be we don't in my district we don't diagnose but it could be anxiety-related or depression-related. Um, it could be, of course, trauma-related. It could be a lot of different things that we address at that Tier 3 level. I really like, Donna, I like that you have some clarity on your career path. I, I think in this field in general, it's a big plus to know the next step. Um, I tend to bounce from place to place. I've always viewed my professional, like wherever I'm at, I just view it as a stepping stone toward the next thing. And so when I graduated with my master's degree in uh, counseling psychology, 
and I was getting my supervision hours and you know pre-licensure. The first job that I got was in a nonprofit, and I liked it. And I'll talk more about this in the, in the second half of this. I liked that experience, but for me, it was it wasn't permanent. It was just I'm going to do this and then to get to the next step. And so I've you know bounced a few different places each time, just like knowing that this is this is temporary. And this is a stepping stone toward my next goal. So having that clear career path that you have, or at least an indication of it, I think it's a, it's a, it's a nice, it can be a nice advantage. I liked bouncing from place to place. It took me places where I didn't think I would ever work. Like, I mean, they've all been really good experiences too, overall. Like I thought that I was like, when I was in school, I was imagining being that private practice, individual therapist with my own little office. And people would come, you know, see me. And maybe I would take insurance and I would have that very typical psychotherapy uh, therapist, you know, kind of look or whatever you want to call it, that image. So that's what I thought. And that has not worked out <laughs> whatsoever. And I'm actually really glad that it hasn't. I mean, I never would have thought that I would have been a guard slash counselor in a non-lockdown juvenile hall. I mean, that was they've all been like crash courses, trial by fire with populations I never thought I would work with. And I, I, the trial by fire, just run in there and kind of do it stuff is, it works for me. I I like it. I never thought I'd be working in a school district, you know, with high schoolers or even like younger middle schoolers. Right now it's just high school. I never thought that I would uh, do a DBT group in a residential boys adolescent drug abuse treatment facility. Did I get all that right? Like, you know, I didn't plan this stuff out. I just, I had this thing in mind and I was like, well, I'll get there somehow. And then it just never worked out. And I was, that's totally cool. I'm I'm really happy the way things have gone. And then I've gotten to work with some populations that I, I flat out would not have been able to work with if I had just done that one-to-one experience uh, that I had originally thought I would of what therapy looks like. But that is not what therapy looks like for a lot of us that graduate and then move on in our career and, and get licensed and stuff, I think that it's, we end up in places we didn't expect. So it's cool. I think I like that you have a general idea of where you want to end up. That can be helpful, but I would also really encourage you to be open to what else is out there. And even when things don't seem like they'd be a good fit for you, like just try it out. Maybe if you, if you know, if you're open for it, if, if you have the financial means and you can take a lower paying job, it's a really good opportunity to, um, I guess, cut your teeth in in the nonprofit sector. It's a, and, I mean, the relationships you build because everyone is so caring. I'll, I'll talk about this in a minute. I'll talk about this in a minute. So what I do right now, mostly it's one to one. I work mostly with high. Actually, right now this year is all high school students, but before this, mostly high school. But I've also worked with uh, lower grades as well. So right now, mostly one to one. Every now and then a family session. It just hasn't quite worked out that way in the school district. The population that we serve, a lot of times the family is not involved and it's really difficult to get them on board. So for the most part, right now I do one-on-one therapy. There is some skills building. There is some like coping stuff that we teach. Um, Not a whole lot of that. There's a big element of resistance. Some students are very, very resistant. But usually I, I can roll through that. But that, that's kind of 
par for the course. It's pretty common. I would say this year, especially this like post quarantine back into school there, the students are really interested in needing to talk. And it seems like this year in particular, there's a lot more crisis level stuff going on, but it seems like there, there's a lot of willingness to meet with a therapist and to like really talk about stuff. So I'm definitely not doing, you know, 20 minute check-in sessions. It's been pretty heavy this year. It's been pretty, I mean, we're only like a quarter into the, the year. But it's been pretty heavy. So a lot of, you know, quote unquote, real therapy is happening. And even before this, I usually got, I would do 45, 50 minute sessions. That was, that's pretty typical for me in, in my caseload um, to do that. So mostly one-on-one. And you, I think I, a lot of mental mental health clinicians don't feel like they're doing real therapy. Uh, it, and it, it, it's more of a challenge. It is more of a challenge. It's, it is more difficult because you're in school. There's other people around. There's all kinds of noise. There's bells going off. There might be trains in the background. I have a one. Actually, a couple of my sites. There's like trains just passing by constantly. Sometimes you're working out of a storage room. So it, it doesn't feel like therapy. A lot of times, it feels like you're in a school. And so a lot. I know I've heard from my fellow mental health clinicians that they don't really feel like they get the real therapy experience, at least what they had in mind when they were in school. I haven't had that same experience. For the most part, I feel like I'm doing real therapy here and some heavy trauma work that's very common. So I feel pretty darn fulfilled through my job now. Um, I, I like it. I think working at schools is has its challenges, but I like it overall. And I, I feel like I'm doing real, real quote-unquote therapy, you know. So it, it's different. I It is different because you're in school. It's during class. I'm with high schoolers. There's other kids around. There's lots of noise. The other thing that I do, and I have a lot of freedom when it comes to this, is teaching teachers. And specifically teaching teachers about what I'm passionate about. We have that uh, flexibility that I really like that our boss gives us that flexibility to to do some professional development for ourselves, but then to teach other people about it. So I've I've taught um, along with Mercedes, a prior co-host of this podcast, she and I work together and we have taught many, 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 many people in our district from the district police to teachers, to principals, to the nurses, after school programs. I mean, like we've taught a lot of people about political theory and about trauma. So I love that. I do. I spend a lot of time on that. I do a lot of crisis intervention. And again, like this year, it seems like there's been a lot more, a lot more panic attack flavor kind of stuff going on that I'm noticing. Uh, depending on what school site you're at, there's potentially a lot of crisis stuff that you'll be dealing with, or if that's what you end up doing. Uh, I So that's what I do. A lot of one-on-one, a lot of teaching, a whole lot of paperwork, but that's uh, probably normal for wherever you work, especially government level. And a lot of crisis intervention. I'm going to check my phone here real quick because I want to check the date on something. This is coming out on the 12th. Yeah, okay. So by the time you're hearing this, you still have time to sign up for Polyvagal 101. That is the the webinar I am doing on the Polyvagal Theory. And it's three hours. It's on, the, it's on October 16th. So by the time you hear this, you have time to sign up. There's still room for it. Um, it's going to be a good time. It's, it's interactive. Uh, it is... Even though it's trauma and it's polyvagal theory, it's I don't think it's traumatizing. Just like I do here on the podcast, if you like what I do here, with just with audio, I, th- I think you'll really like what I do when I have 
uh, video and music and slides and some opportunities for interaction. Plus live Q&A. I love doing live Q&A. Head over to justinlmft.com and you will, or just tap the link in the description of this podcast episode in, in order to find out more and sign up for, buy your tickets, reserve your spot for Polybagel 101. And if you miss it, I feel sorry for you, but you still have an opportunity to at least watch it. Um, I'll have it for sale soon after that in perpetuity. All right, so the second part of of Donna's question here, Donna, the patron. Again, if you're a patron, you get priority answers to your questions, five bucks a month. So the second part of Donna's message to me says, are there any struggles you could share that you wish you knew before you began your journey? I have some thoughts. I have some thoughts. And as I was writing this out, it really, these thoughts and these concerns revolve around what it's like to work in the public sector. So not that one-on-one traditional psychotherapy look. This is really more about what it's like to work in nonprofits and government therapy positions, whether that's a mental health clinician for a school district or an outpatient therapist for county mental health or a residential therapist for, you know, substance abuse or working in a juvenile hall, all these different places. I, I, I do have, I do have the one-on-one online private practice going right now. And I only have a couple clients. I keep it really small. So I do have that going and it's a much different experience than what I'm doing or have been doing in the past 13 years or so in the nonprofit and government sector. So are there any concerns that I wish I knew beforehand or that I could share? Overall, it's been fantastic. Overall, it has been such a great experience to get way out of my comfort zone and work with people that I never thought I'd be working with, uh, populations I never thought I'd be working with. Uh, learning about stuff and like I never thought I would be you know in depth learning about gangs and gang culture and gang signs and you know gang apparel and I, I never thought this was never taught in therapy school I never thought I'd be working in juvenile hall none of this stuff I could have predicted but I love that I've gone there I love that I've been able to connect with so many different people across all walks of life I mean and, and so when you work in the public sector, you, you're kind of forced to uh, adjust and adapt and learn and grow pretty rapidly if you want to do a good job, if you like what you're doing. So here's a couple concerns that I'll, I'll throw at you, though, because it's not all roses. For the most part, it, actually not, not for the most part, but in many ways, working for nonprofits, working for the government is absolutely all right. In many ways. Overall, I would not take anything back. I like what I do a lot. Overall, I feel pretty darn fulfilled no matter where I've been. But you will be, for the most part, underpaid. If you decide to go down this route, if you end up working for a school district, there's a good chance you'll be underpaid. Right now, I get paid very well. I'm super happy with what I get paid. I kept working my way up. Like I said, every every job I had was a stepping stone to the next one. And I'm pretty damn happy with what I get paid. I cannot complain. And I also have great hours, and I have really good flexibility. So I, I'm, at, I'm at that point where, like, when it comes to public sector, I'm kind of at the peak of what I can I can accomplish. So for the most part, besides that, 
expect to be underpaid. Uh, you know, like right now I'm doing okay, but I've also worked for places, nonprofits, where they were they got their money from grants, and so it was very limited funding. Grants and nonprofits go hand in hand. And you're not going to get paid a whole lot. You'll probably get underpaid with a lot expected from you. That's like, that's just the way it is. Just a heads up. If that's what you end up doing or anybody, there's a good chance that's going to happen. But again, really good experience. And think of it as a, ste- as a stepping stone. You're cutting your teeth there. The other concern or the other heads up, I'll put it that way. The other heads up is that for me, trial by fire is the best way for me to learn. And like, honestly, if you said, uh, if you'd asked me in, in graduate school, hey, do you want to work with um, in substance abuse, residential uh, boys, most of them are in gangs and potentially violent. I would have said, no, I want to do the one-on-one therapy with rich people. <laughs> and I would have said no. But once I graduated and I'm looking at what jobs are available, all of a sudden I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to do that. And I'm really glad I did. And trial by fire was how I learned. Before working in the juvenile hall, I did a ton of research into, actually, yeah, during the juvenile hall and the residential boys substance abuse treatment home in uh, San Francisco. Uh, I did a crash course. I tried to learn as much as I could academically about gangs and gang culture, gang signs. But once you get into it, it's uh, it helps to have that cognitive knowledge. But it's definitely trial by fire when it comes to just making connections with people and building trust, building rapport. Um, it's pretty invaluable. It's pretty invaluable. And like there's people I've worked with, there's there's populations I've worked with where I'm like, if I can handle this, I can handle anything. And that's what people say is like, oh, you've worked with kids or you've worked with gangs. You can handle whatever. Like whatever comes your way, you'll be able to handle it. And that that was like my intro to therapy. Another heads up, another heads up here for you is that people get jaded in government jobs, including schools. People get jaded. I think I've had my moments. There's there's probably I know there's been moments where I'm just kind of checked out. Luckily for me, I don't do I don't like existing that way. And so I put it upon myself to get out of that and to continually find ways to feel passionate about what I do. So I, I've been there. But I don't like being there. I really don't like it. And I hate being around it too. So I keep finding ways to challenge yourself. Super important. Do not get complacent. Keep finding ways to challenge yourself. I had a job once. I won't say where it was. But I had a job once where there was a meeting specifically for mental health clinicians or for therapists to get together to to basically complain. And like I just... I had just started there and there was, you could feel in the meetings, you could feel in the culture of the place I was working. Like a lot of people were just jaded, very toxic kind of feel to the workplace. And these are all therapists, by the way, most of them are therapists, but they get jaded and they get, they start to just complain and hate their job and complain about this person and that person and how much work they have to do. And some of it's legit fine, but they get like sucked in it and it becomes this very toxic thing. But there was a meeting where the clinicians, the therapists got together and just complained. And I was like, what's the point of this? And I remember sitting through it once and I'm like, I don't want to be a part of this. And I asked my supervisor, I'm like, can I just skip that meeting? It's a waste of time. I don't want to hear people complain. And uh, yeah, it, 
things change after that. I don't mind speaking up. I'm kind of a, if I don't want to be a part of something, I'll, I'll speak up. I'm like, this is a waste of time. And I don't want to be part of this. I, I'm not going to sit around complaining for an hour. You all can do that. Do you? I'm not, I'm not going to be part of it. So I, I would encourage you to compl- constantly, consistently find something you are passionate about, no matter what you're doing. Because when, when it comes to difficult populations, when it comes to being overworked and underpaid, which is probably going to happen, it's super easy to get jaded. So find a way to, to keep yourself interested, or maybe it's just time to move on. Another heads up, and I'm like, I'm way off in the weeds here, but I think this is a good time to talk about this stuff, and uh, Donna, you opened it up, so I'm going to go with her. Another heads up here is that the bosses that you have are going to be other therapists who no longer want to do therapy and are interested in being managers and supervisors, which seems like a good idea, but they change. And it's kind of weird. It's awkward. Luckily, my boss is fantastic. She's a former therapist, not practicing anymore. Luckily, she's amazing. I cannot complain. I will not complain. I'm not complaining. We all love her boss. She's fantastic. So not mine, but they lose sight of the work. They lose sight of what it feel of what it's like to be a therapist. It seems, and they become managers. So they manage. They watch percentages. They lose their passion. You can tell, like the passion for the work is gone, like it's been sucked out of them. They seem like they've lost the compassion for clients and for their coworkers. I hate to say that. Not all of them. Not all. But when you deal with bullshit personnel issues day in, day out, because that's what they do. They that they have to deal with. They don't really. I think they get into it thinking, oh, I'm going to make change. I'm going to manage and inspire and whatever else managers do. I don't know. And they end up just dealing with nonsense personnel issues day in, day out. People complaining about their jobs. People complaining about this or that. And I, I, I would assume the passion gets beaten out of them. It seems like it. So I, ha- I personally have zero interest in management or supervisory roles. Because like I, I'm a therapist and that's it. I, I cannot imagine not being a therapist in my life at this point. Even with the podcast and my courses and webinars, which I love and I'm passionate about, I can't, I don't think I'll ever stop being doing the one-on-one. I, I kind of need it. I mean, it, it's just part of me at this point. So I don't know. I don't know how, ther- how therapists become managers and supervisors. I think some can do it and they keep the joy. It's possible. It's possible. I know. But if you work for a government nonprofit or a county, like you probably know what's up. Luckily, I've had really good experience. Overall, I have good experiences, but at the same time, I also see other stuff. The other heads up here, I'll give you another one. You're here to serve the public, but oftentimes the public does not want your help. I mean, they do. They do want your help, but they also don't. So you really got to be able to work with resistance. That you know, like I mean, Donna in particular, you said you wanted to work in school district and you wanted to reach the kids that. Uh, it sounded like you had. You could identify with them on some level. Let me see here real quick. I want to help kids that were raised like myself. There you go. So I don't know what that means, and, that, and that's fine. But a lot of the times, the kids that we serve in the public, the parents, they want help, but they also don't want help. They say they want help, but they're hugely resistant. So you really have to be able to work through that. It's not like in, like in my one-on-one practice, or my private practice, I mean, people know what I do. They come to me and say, hey, I want help. 
I'm willing, I can, and I'm willing to pay for it out of pocket. Uh, and I'm ready to start dealing with stuff. And we do. In the public sector, it's a little bit different. They might come your way because someone's forcing them to, like a parent. Especially in the in the school district, the parent might be saying, no, you're going to get help. Which, if that happened, would be, honestly, in my opinion, I would love to that. Because a lot of times, the parents are not involved. A lot of times, it's school identifying this kid needs help. And hopefully, the kid is on board. Usually, the kids I work with are okay with talking, even if they're not fully 100% ready to like make change but they're like you know I'm I'm not I'm not quite ready to go into everything and make change in my life overall I'm satisfied with failing and uh using drugs and I'm okay with my relationships with my family even though they're not the best and like I'm not exaggerating that's this is what I hear like no I don't have any problems in life I'm okay with the way things are but I'm okay with talking with you Justin so I'll start there and like that's where we start so it, that's not uncommon. The public does want our help, but they also, in a way, don't want our help. So really be ready to work with resistance. When it comes to working with, with resistance in the private practice so far, it seems like there are feelings of like, I'm, I'm irritable this week, or I want a break from therapy this week, maybe, or it's too difficult to look at certain things. That's different than someone coming to your office at a nonprofit or in a school or in county and, and basically not wanting to be there, period, and their probation officer is making them. That's a lot different. That kind of resistance is, is a lot different. Another heads up. You will not be appreciated. You will. You will, but you also won't. You'll definitely have those moments where the client, in particular, uh, expresses appreciation and your coworkers. Yeah. 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 But a lot of times also not. So you, you really got to be able to find your own joy, your own passion in what you do and not expect a whole lot in return. And that could easily turn into that whole jaded thing I was talking about earlier. That could easily turn into like burnout and just going through the motions. So I, if, if this is the work you're going to get into, especially with high needs populations, you really got to be ready um, to appreciate yourself, to find your passion and joy in it, no matter what, even, even when you get your butt kicked emotionally, you know, a certain day, because you're not going to get a whole lot of appreciation. There might be moments where your boss, you know, there's a, there's like a, Workers Appreciation Day or something like that. You'll get that. If you have a good boss, right now my boss, she's fantastic. Whenever she sees us, she's like, hey, I'm really, you guys are doing great. The the trauma trainings are kicking butt. Everyone's loving it. I'm getting great feedback. And she's super, like, she, like I, I've got a good, I have a great boss. But she's super uh, open about expressing appreciation. She does a good job. Like, and, and And even though I'm an adult, I need it. I think we all need it. I think it's really important. But if you don't get it, and I've definitely had those jobs where I'm not, I'm not really getting it, you got to find it within you. And that brings me to the next heads up, which is your coworkers are your best friends. They're not in a way, but they also are. You'll be working with, in the nonprofit, in the government, in the state sector, you'll be working with professions, 
different people in different professions. And they may or may not work very well together. So you'll be working with other therapists, but also like the records room, management, uh, IT or IS, information services, information technology, is that what it's called? Internet technology? I don't know. IT, IS, something like that. (laughs) So you'll be working with them off and on. You'll be interacting with them off and on. And a lot of times it doesn't go well. It's not super smooth. There's resentment. There's bickering. I mean like childish bickering. There's a lot of bullshit. I would really encourage you to stay out of bullshit. Not just you, Donna, but anybody who's thinking about these things. Stay out of the bullshit. Stay out of the rumors. Stay out of the infighting. Because it's going to (laughs) happen. It's going to happen. And if you hear it, move on. Just, Just move on. Just move on. When you see someone that needs support, offer them support. I I I am I am lucky that even though I've seen a lot of stuff that is not ideal, I've had some really good coworkers, like phenomenal coworkers, where we support each other. We're underpaid, we're overworked, and on the brink of being jaded, but we have each other. And like seriously, it, it goes a long way. And I'm not a super social person. I am not super touchy feely, but I have a lot of appreciation for my fellow coworkers. So I guess, you know, make sure to express that to each other. The last thing I'll give you a heads up on is that it is often unpredictable to work in the private, I'm sorry, in the nonprofit and government sector, often unpredictable. People will drop by in crisis, kids, students, I mean, staff will come to you and say, hey, something's going on and I need to talk about it. Not personally, all of that, that's possible too, but um, no more with like a student they'll, you know, they'll, they'll bring them by, they'll bring a student to you and say, here you go. (laughs) And we, we try to dissuade that, but it's going to happen. So teachers will bring by a student who's in the middle middle of a panic attack. Students will drop by that are in the middle of something. Yeah. It's someone will be suicidal. There's a really good chance that someone's going to be suicidal. There's a really good chance that the student you're working with or the person, the family that you're working with an outpatient through the county is not going to show up. A lot of this is just unpredictable. There's a really good chance that whatever you thought you were going to have for lunch at a certain time is not going to happen. There's a really good chance that you will not get lunch that day. And it really depends on what kind of site you're in. Like my school site, I have a structure where I'm pretty good. And if, if I don't eat lunch on time, it, it's going to happen soon after that. But I know other people that really can't plan it out because it's like crisis after crisis after crisis. But I think that's just something to keep in mind is that it's, it is often unpredictable in these types of jobs. In the private sector, I don't know if I have a really good sampling for that. I, like I said, I keep a pretty small caseload. It's it's out of pocket, so people are paying like out of pocket. It's not insurance, so they take their they take their meeting time with me, their scheduled time. It seems like pretty damn seriously. I've only had to charge people a couple of times for not showing up, and then it doesn't really happen again. Like people treat it a lot differently versus a free session through the county or through a nonprofit where they're not really paying out of pocket, so they'll schedule it and they just won't show up, or you call them and they. Don't return the call. 
a lot of times these these families and these students and like they're really hard to reach, very very difficult to reach. And as much as you try and try and try, like there's been parents that I I never hear back from, even though their kid really needs the help. So I don't know, just a whole bunch of heads up there. Overall, fantastic experiences. I would highly recommend to anybody and everybody. You know, during your internship, during your practicum, if you can, to work in one of these places. After you graduate, I mean, trial by fire, get in there, work in these, work in these uh, nonprofits and government sector positions. It's just like an experience you're probably not going to get through private practice. Like you're just not. And uh, I don't know. It's it's crazy, but it's also beautiful in a lot of ways. The and you get much deeper appreciation for the work, in my opinion. All of a sudden, you if you feel like an expert in school, and when you graduate, you're feeling you know high on your own supply. Like that shit goes away quick. Trial by fire is like you're not the expert anymore. When you have someone who's suicidal, or about to go off on appear like in a fight all your training is like that's cool you got the degree but can you handle this and in a lot of ways it's fun i I like that kind of stuff although i did try to break up one fight when i was in the juvenile hall and that didn't go very well (laughs) i was not good at that but i also didn't have the training yet they just threw me in there i didn't have the the physical restraint training and whatnot but even then it's uh the crises as fun as they can be, they're also terrifying at times. But I te- I, I think you have to have that kind of, per- not personality, but you have to have that desire, that willingness to be like, yeah, I'll take it on. Like, I'll jump in there when that, when that kid's threatening to run away from school, run out of school, or they're uh, trying to you know, attack another student school, or they're having a panic attack, they're suicidal. Not just a student, but you know, no, no matter in a residential home, wherever you are, that you're like, yeah, I could do it. And that's not what I anticipated in therapy school, but yeah, I can do that. I'll step in. Like, yeah. So those are my thoughts. They're not really concerns. It's more like just, hey, heads up. This is what it's like. And I'm sure this is just like a smattering. This is like surface level. Hey, heads up. It definitely, it's just some really good opportunities though. Like I've gotten to do parenting groups out in the park. I loved that. That was that was super cool. But it, there was also a, a parenting group out in the park where the 10-year-old threatened to harm himself and was screaming at the top of his lungs. And I voluntarily intervened on that to model to the mom how to do so. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> man. That was intense. I, you know, so it's like it's a, it's a mixed bag. It's super fulfilling in a lot of ways and other ways not. Your your coworkers are the best, and in other ways, they're not. The people you work under are phenomenal, and in other ways, they're not. Like it's it's such a mixed bag, but I've loved it, and I I can't. I have goals, like I want to grow all the stuff I'm doing in the private sector, but it's also hard to imagine my life without doing, uh, working with these really high needs populations. So I don't know. There's a whole bunch of thoughts for you, Donna, and for anybody else, or for you listening, dear listener, fellow stuck nut. 
whole bunch of thoughts for you there. I hope this has helped. I hope this has helped someone in their career path. Donna, I hope this helps you get some clarity. I hope I answered your question. I do appreciate you listening. Check out Polyvagal 101 on justinlmft.com. Do me a favor and subscribe or follow to this podcast on your favorite platform. Share it with someone you care about. Share it with uh, coworkers. <laughs> Share it with someone that works for like county mental health or a nonprofit and see what they think. See if they have any stories. Bye. This podcast is not therapy, not intended to be therapy or be a replacement for therapy. Nothing in this creates or indicates a therapeutic relationship. Please consult with your therapist or seek for one in your area if you are experiencing mental health symptoms. Nothing in this podcast should be construed to be specific life advice. It is for educational and entertainment purposes only. More resources are available in the description of this episode and in the footer of justinlmft.com. That was pretty fast.